Hey, this is Steve Balton, and welcome to an incredibly special edition of My Turning Point. This week is really something mind-blowing. Jackson Brown has been one of my favorite songwriters for many, many, many years. I won't say how long, because it makes us all seem old, but truly one of my heroes, one of the greatest songwriters of all time, member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a true legend. And this week, we have an hour with Jackson Brown on his new album, one of my favorite songs of his, That Girl Could Sing, so much more. This is a really incredible episode, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. How you been? Good. I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing well. Always a pleasure to catch up. I was just looking. The last time was actually December 2017 when we premiered, funny enough, on Forbes, the video for The Dreamer. Oh, great. So That's great. It's been a minute, but I feel like I have a head start on this album. Yeah. How you well, been doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm just sort of in the in the place I've been for the last year and a half. You know, just like taking on guitars like a sinking ship. You know. <laughs> I mean, that's been such a fascinating. Thing. Well, you were unfortunately you were one of the first musicians to come out as having gotten COVID. I mean, how yeah. did you like? How did it impact well, was, you having it early on? Um, interesting that you asked that because I didn't mean to announce to anybody that I had it. There's, I just had, I was telling someone at Rolling Stone that I couldn't do the thing, the, the, the home Zoom thing they were asking me to do because I was sick and I didn't know, you know. And then they, they were going to, they were premiering um, a singles that I were putting out, the singles that I were, was putting out so I'd have something to play on tour. And it just all happened at once. So these singles, those songs, um, um, a little soon to say, and downhill from everywhere were being released then. And and I just uh, candidly said, well, yeah, and like no, it turns out I do have it, you know. And then it, that became the story. So it, it, I didn't really mean to make a, you know, a big press release out of the fact that I had it, but it, it wound up I wound up being inundated with calls and texts and emails. It just took me days, and not even I never even got through. I never got all the way through answering them because I'm not used to getting that, that much correspondence. But it was, um, it's interesting because, yeah, I knew, I knew a number of people who had it and I didn't have it. I didn't have a very um, rough time of it, but they did. Two of my friends were very, very, very sick. And I, fortunately they made it through, but there was, it was close. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I was going to say, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's interesting having it early on probably impacts your mentality a little bit as well. And the reason I ask you this specifically is because I have done hundreds, if not what feels like thousands of interviews during COVID because, you know, artists couldn't tour. So like I did 90 minutes with Stevie Nicks on a Friday night. I did 60 minutes with John Bon Jovi, you know, all these people who basically would normally be on the road and not have time to talk. Yeah. And it was fascinating. In fact, I was joking with someone the other day, and I'm probably not joking. It actually needs to be turned into a book like Artist COVID Chronicles and how it impacted artists so differently. And like David Guetta, the dance musician, was talking about the fact that, you know, for the first time in his 12 years, he could do a summer vacation with his kids. So it had, or Lucas Nelson, who I'm sure you've known for many years, was telling me he yeah. had dinner with, you know, Willie and mom every night for four and a half months because they weren't on the road. So it was very fascinating to hear 
everybody's sort of different take on it and what happened. But because you actually had COVID early on, I'm sure it impacted you in a different way. I don't know if it's the early on part. It's just the fa- just just the fact that everybody had this same thing to deal with was really interesting. It was interesting that everybody was having up against the same threat, the same um, trying to trying to keep track of the various directives by the CDC and and. You know, I don't, I don't know that having, I mean, in a way we were all in the same boat, whether we had it or didn't. I mean, I, I, I had given it to my son. So he and I were in touch. We spent a lot of time together. That was good. And it was, um, that, that, that part of it was good. You know, it wasn't good. <laughs> matter of fact, he was pretty mad at me at, for a while because he had said, look, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't, I mean, and I, I went to, I got it at this benefit I went to go play it, and I, he said, maybe you shouldn't go, and I thought, um, well, you know, I've been thinking about that, and I still treated it like a decision that was, you know, my decision to make, and then when I turned out to have brought it back and given it to him, it really raised a question as to whether or not your own personal decisions are your own decisions or that whether they impact every, everybody else around you. And that was another thing to consider. That was something that not only between us, between father and son, but also just between us, every individual and the society they live in, to what degree are your decisions your own? Well, that's, that's interesting because, you know, like, you know, so much of, look, you and I have talked over the years about music being prophetic, right? And so much of this album may feel prophetic, but it's funny because the fact that you make that statement that at the beginning of COVID, it feels so relevant today as people are still arguing over the vaccine and everything. But I don't want to spend the whole time talking about COVID. It's interesting. The reason I ask about all this specifically is because it impacted people so creatively. But as I understand it, most of the material for this album was written before mm. the pandemic, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... Yeah, yeah. It was pretty much in the works. The uh, the songs were in the works, and with the exception of a few lines on one song and maybe a how much of the Barcelona song to sing in Catalan, these kinds of things. I mean, I wound up spending a really a lot more time on that one song <laughs> because you know, it's just a. I was working with an engineer. I had had it and gotten over it, and we were wearing masks and we were um, distancing. And at one point he said, you know, we've been working on this song for a month. <laughs> I didn't really, because I would work, I was working with, I was just trying different things. So I, it's sort of that the, the active recording has always been sort of commingled with writing. It's really not really clear when the writing leaves off and when the recording begins, or like whether whether I'm st- I'm usually I'm still writing a song while I'm recording it. So, in the case of that this song for Barcelona, I kind of overachieved there, and I wrote a whole bridge in Catalan, and I and I didn't have any uh, I didn't I couldn't record it until it was safe to record in a room with you know five or six people. So I was waiting to record it. While I while I worked on it, and I had a, uh, and even after I recorded, I spent a long time messing around with it. But yeah, the, <clears throat> the thing about being quarantined and having a lot of time is that uh, I probably listened, and I think that the the songs kind of cured 
they sort of cured in a way. They sort of they aged in the in the in right in the recording process, and so I could hear things that I might not have noticed until later. And I made I made a few changes in in instrumentation and how how the instruments were being played, and bringing in people one at a time to kind of. So that that made me a little more attuned. I think being quarantined made me a little more attuned to the sound of things and the options that I have as a as an arranger. Usually, the recording process is uh, a lot of things are done at once, and this sort of elongated the whole thing. And I was able to give a little more attention to individual aspects. You know? Well, it's interesting because I think that's one of the things that, you know, was a common thread among all the interviews I did was the sense of artistic freedom. Like John Bon Jovi, for example, was talking about the fact that, you know, normally, you know, they're under an album tour cycle. And so because the tour that they planned on doing after they released the new album was canceled, he went back in and wrote two songs that ended up being both very timely and probably his two favorite songs on the record. And I think for most artists, they found that with that artistic freedom of, not being under a strict deadline. And it's interesting for you because obviously you tour every summer. So I'm sure there would have been a different deadline or it would have changed. So do you feel like this album was able to change or evolve or grow into a different thing because you weren't under a deadline? Yeah. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. It gave me, it gave me time that I wouldn't ordinarily have to listen and to, um, and like I like I said, I, I, I changed a number of things, but um, that I might not have noticed or not paid attention to, you know, had I not had the time. I'm still very much, I mean, I work in the studio and in, and in this, I'm working in this room that I, that I write in and I'm also making these sort of um, from home videos of virtual songs. Virtual performances. I mean, they're they're performances, but but they are virtual concerts. So they they go out to you know various groups and organizations that are fundraising, and they want they want a song to go with their virtual gala or their virtual fundraiser. I just did one yesterday, and that process of recording something. Okay, the difference between going someplace and doing a song. Maybe it would take three days to day to fly there and day to fly back, but a day to be there and to do it, as opposed to the three days it takes to. The difference is that you get multiple passes. You know, you get you get to like actually pick. It looks like you just sat down in a living room and played, and you did, but you you got to play it several times and listen back. And that was that was a sort of commingling of the of performance and recording. And in fact, it's not with a band. It's not with, I mean, in some cases I played with one or two people, but it's a struck down version. So it's also a way of heightening the writing in the song or, 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 and especially of making the performance one that is just simply unadorned. There's no, you know, it's the elemental song. It's a song in its most elemental um, form. And I'm like, I just did, did one of these yesterday and it was a Warren Zevon song called Don't Let Us Get Sick. And it's it's a great song. And just getting, I just sang it three times. And amazingly, like the third time was really so much better than the first two times. 
I, I could tell that I, mean, I, was, I was feeling it all the, the three times, right? Especially the, the first moment I started singing the song, very moved by it. And I'm singing it. And then, but really something happened on the third take that you go, well, this is so much better. This is just somehow something settled, something happened, something in that process. So, that, so this is, for me, this has been a really learning. It's been like going, it's a combination. It's like going to school or something. It's like being tested. It's a little bit like taking an exam, you know? Think of the best song to sing for this occasion. Do your best version of, and, and some of these, some of these, and, 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 and it's, it's been a matter of learning how to, how to record it well or how to film it. There's very limited opportunity to edit, you know? So it's a little like, um, I don't know. It's not, maybe not like being tested, maybe more like doing your term paper. Does anything, <laughs> any of this make sense to you? It's like, it's, yeah. It's an absence of having, an audience present. You have an audience. You just can't see them. <laughs> well, but like you said, I mean, that's such a fascinating thing too, is it's approach. It's changed how everybody does things differently. You know, like for example, the in-person interview has largely dissipated because now, even though I'm sure we're both vaccinated, you know, you can do things remotely. And I mean, for me, I've loved actually not being in the car back and forth, but it's funny that you mentioned Zivon because you and I have talked about him over the years. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. And I want to come back to the performance aspect in a second of, you know, because songs, I think, change a lot in this element too. But listening to this record the first time, my Cleveland heart, the opening of that very much struck me as like 70s Zivon. Yeah. And I don't know if that was an intentional nod or if it was just, you know, because you listen to it so much, it's just built into your subconscious. Oh, there's a part of me that's always resonated with how one. You know, somebody just made that op- observation the other day. I don't flatter myself. I, di- I don't like. I've I've never been able to write like Warren. He's just such a. He was such a brilliant satirist, and this song is satirical. But it's um, yeah, it's very much influenced by him. I would say, and um, but I in no way, uh, you know conflate or equate, you know, what I'm doing with what, what Zivon was able to do. And I sing his songs all the time. I sing his songs. People call for them at my shows because they know I know some of these songs and I'm, I'm as willing as anybody to stop what I'm doing and sing some of his songs instead. So what, what at this point, we'll come back out of the record in a second, but I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned yesterday, Don't Let Us Get Sick. What's your favorite Warren song to sing? Oh, there are a lot of them. I always sang his songs without really knowing them very well. I just, like, I'm not, I, <laughs> I mean, I'd play them for somebody and they go, that's not how it goes, you know. It's just, it's just, <laughs> I go, oh, well, show me. But it's because um, a song like, for instance, a song like uh, Life Will Kill You, it's really musically advanced. And you can't even, even, even Ben Montench and Jorge Calderon working to try to decipher what got played on that <laughs> can't quite make it, you know, hang together. We have, you have to find some version of your own. So I got, I wound up doing this song because I, you know, with Zivon, you know, I love the words. I love what he's saying. And they're so, they're so ironic and so funny that I wind up singing the sort of, 
the bluegrass version, the, the Hawaiian version, the three chords and the truth version of the song, even though the execution in the song is very wonderfully uh, sophisticated. I mean, the execution of the, the, the music, the writing is just, you know, and the, and the accompaniment is really much more advanced and then I can really play. So if I want to play it at a club, I'm just playing it like uh, Deliverance, you know. But there's this whole fugue going on in Warren's version of it. You play it on a guitar, it sounds like, you know, it's just simple. But the main the main thing is that his songs succeed however you play them. And 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 his own career is proof of that because he didn't always sing that well, and he always didn't, and he, and he sang better and better as time went on. But the main thing was that he inhabited this character. He he his his he inhabited these songs, and he had a character that was, you know, a combination of a sort of a berserk person crashing through every barrier in life. And a person who was incredibly sensitive and and was able to describe the life's most intimate, most poignant moments, you know, with equal with equal, you know, power. He was he was an amazing, amazing artist. And uh, I said, like uh, to answer your question, I like singing "Life Will Kill You." I like singing um, Muhammad's radio. I like. And, but I mean, he's got a song for every occasion. And like I said in this thing yesterday, I mean, this song, Don't Let Us Get Sick, is a great song for any occasion because it's about, it's about your health. It's about mortality. It's also, it's, it's, it's like I said in this introduction, it's filled with both doom and gratitude. You know, when you say, don't let us get sick, don't let us get old. Well, we're going to get old, you know. We hope not to be sick. And also, don't let us get stupid, all right? Let's, <laughs> let's not lose <laughs> our capacity to think, you know. And it's just a fantastic song. And it's, and it's so beautifully poignant to say, you know, I'm lucky to be here with someone I like who maketh my spirit to shine. You know, it's really yeah. such a beautiful song. And he's... You know, he's the same guy that wrote, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know that anybody's ever written the song more powerful than uh, Accidentally Like a Martyr. Yeah. Well, it's the, one, the song I want to learn to sing. It's it's a brilliant, I mean, that's what I grab it, you know, and that's the genius of him, but we'll come back and, and tie this back in with the new record because it's funny, part of the genius, well, before we do that, but it's funny because you say you would never equate yourself with Warren and obviously, you know, you have your own skills and accomplishments, but now just thinking about it, I hadn't thought of this ahead of time, but I, I feel like, you know, writing basically a love letter slash fuck you to LA after 40 something years of living here is definitely something Warren would have appreciated. Oh. You know, and it's funny when I first listened to Minutes to Downtown, I'm like, wow, that's a really beautiful love song that I read through the bio. And I was like, oh, shit. OK, it's, you know, I, I feel like that level is something that he definitely would have appreciated. Yeah. Well, he's saying, I mean, he captured the noir um, qualities of L.A. really early on his his uh, de accidentally. I mean, his. um, um 
Desperados Under the Eaves, you know. He was he was light years ahead of most people that were that were uh, associated with Los Angeles. He just was. He was just like he was writing, you know, the French Inhaler, Accidentally Like a Martyr. The song I really want to learn is um, the Indifference of Heaven. Mm. I have done it, but I did it. I had to read it. It was at a, at a set of Zevon tribute, and I could I couldn't memorize it in time. And I I got to do it with uh, one or two other players who could sort of supported it musically. But I I read it, and it was more like reading a letter. It was like a lead, reading a letter from Warren. Beautiful. It's it's you know it's just there's there there there's there's he's it's profound. It's it's also. Um, we do the we do these um, tribute shows to him, but just people who love his music, and it's a very small audience, and they're usually fundraisers and and uh, involve you know inviting a, a whole bunch of people who know his songs to come and do them, and there's they 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 come from surprising you know different corners of the rock uh, panorama, you know, but. Like to hear uh, Jud Jud Apatow saying, "My shit's fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> it's great to hear somebody interpret these songs because everybody's, you know, like because you take the the Warren character, his 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 personality as a performer out of the song, and the song is just so 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 pronounced and so powerful. And everybody's got their own way of uh, interpreting them. I'm gonna. I'm always pulling out doing Carmelita because it's the easiest thing to. If someone calls for it in a live show of mine, it's the one that I can look at everybody and go, okay, you know, everybody can just grab whatever they play on that song and just play it at a, at a moment's notice. But there are songs that you'd have to prepare for. If I, I'd like to have a couple of those in my back pocket as I go out on tour because I know there'll, there'll be people in that audience yelling, you know, play something of the Zevon, you know, play some more. <laughs> I want to do something that I haven't done before. A couple of times I did songs that the band had never played. And I just launched into a song like, what was it? It was, um, I don't know if it was Mohammed's radio or it was, um, and like everybody sort of bumbled through it. The drummer got it best of all. He was like, but you know, there's the spontaneity of doing that is really fun. And I like doing that anyway. I, w I want to have something that's actually like really well put together surprise a formidable song you know because it's that's my way of honoring him and the fact that i love his music just to have it have it on hand have it near you know yeah no question it's funny though as you mentioned judd and then we're going to come off this in a second because i can geek out on zivon all day long as clearly you can as well but obviously <laughs> i want to talk about your music and downhill from everywhere as well but it's fine. I just Googled it. And back in 2013 at a red carpet event, I was trying to convince Judd that he needed to make the Zivon biopic. And then David Duchovny is a massive fan. And at the time, David, who I became friendly with, swore that he couldn't sing and would never do it. And of course, now David has become a recording artist. And I'm not saying he could play that part. But back in 2013, I tried to convince them both to do this for Rolling Stone. So maybe it'll happen someday. Hmm. Wow. That's a good idea. Well, I think it'll have, it'll have a lot more credibility coming from you than it would from me. So, you know, 
maybe you can make that happen. But, you know, coming back to the performance aspect of what we were talking about, it's interesting. I mean, have you in the, you know, in the time that you've been doing these, you know, videos, these virtual performances, as you say, have you started record performing any of the songs from downhill from everywhere? No. Um, well, no, that's true. Like the, the one, um, my Cleveland heart, I did a, I did a virtual performance of that with Val. No, we wrote that song together and, um, and we can't, it takes the two of us to sing it. I could sing all the parts, but it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that song developed in a really wonderful way because that was an option to me sing, which, which part should I sing in the chorus? Because I, I could switch to chorus singing the spin ever break, and I could sing the answer part, but it didn't work. So it wasn't my first choice to have, you know, just to, to have him take on that, to suddenly have his voice singing the answers, but actually it worked, it worked beautifully. And now that I've done a video, I've been doing two videos of it, it really works great. Val is, matter of fact, I've done three. I did the, the we did the, the video that, um, you know, the real, the real video, the, the single release. And then I did a, a version at home here. And to make this work, we had to have the engineer play the cowbell. So it's just to have the two guitars with and play the whole thing to the cowbell works. Uh, it takes, but if you didn't, it doesn't hang together that well. It's not that easy. I mean, I could play it by myself and it'd be sloppy, you know, but it to play it well enough to have the two of us sing it and to sing, you know, we, so I forget what you just asked me. Just that, oh, that's the one song that we've been playing. And we did a live version for that. For, it's going to be on Kimmel on uh, tomorrow night. And uh, I say live, I mean, we played it live, but in a studio that, um, and I got to play it with the guys on the record. That's, that's Pete Thomas, Dave Farragher, who are in a band with Val. And Pete Thomas and David Farragher are Elvis Costello's rhythm section, but they're also in a band called Jack Shit. Do you know about them? Yeah. Okay. So it was like being in Jack Shit for the afternoon. <laughs> it was always a thrill. And we then we do a bunch of songs together. I've I've uh, you know played with them on their shows, and they've come come on my shows and different times. So it's, we're thick as thieves. And Val, of course, is a an incendiary guitar player. Um, this on our on on downhill from I mean on my Cleveland heart. Greg Lease kind of carries the slide. He, he does the slide, but Val's original demo with me. He played all the guitars. So I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to do like a a song that you would you know you layered and played all the parts yourself. So I like doing that. But this song really called for like a band to play as a band dynamic, and it, it sort of grew in a really good way. I can say that we're going to plan, we're planning to, I'm planning, I'm looking at this room. This is the room that I do my at-home stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've, if I figured out, if I move the piano to the other end of the room, I'll be able to have that view of me with this room behind me. You'll see like behind me, you'll see the couch and the pianist you know, and the drummer back here. And we'll be able to get everybody. I want to do a version of the Barcelona song because that is a song that came together. Like I say, it was the last song to be recorded. And it was song recorded after the COVID began. We had to wait till we could get 
we could convince everybody that it was safe to get together with five people in the same room. And, um, and then we played this thing and it's amazing. It's really a product of the way everybody plays together. It really was a very much, much uh, a song that was realized as a band. So I want to do an in at home version of it, which means having, and, and now that we've, we're all vaccinated, I can put it, that many people in this little room. It won't be an issue. But again, it'll be fun because it'll be, it'll be a way of learning this song too and of figuring out how to perform it for, for live performances. It's a, it's a, it's a rumba, you know, it's, it's, it's based on a, you know, a kind of Spanish Catalan party music, gypsy music. So it was a departure for everybody to kind of, you know, shape this song in that way. Still, we are who we are. I'm still me singing. The guitarists are still rock guitarists playing rumba. Yeah. So, um, but that, those, are the only, those are the only two songs we started. We learned, but I'm going to be in rehearsals in a couple of weeks because we're planning to go out at the end of July. Nice. You know, it's so interesting, too, because you and I spoke. So back in 2016, I believe it was, you played a random show at Lucky Strike in Hollywood. Yeah. And we spoke that night for Rolling Stone, and you were doing That Girl Could Sing, which you rarely ever do. By the way, I had, like, in my 90-minute discussion with Stevie Dix, we discussed that song immensely, and she was saying she wants to cover it. So I would love to hear what she does with it, and, you know, maybe you can suggest that one to her as well. But it's interesting. The reason I bring it up is because you discussed the fact that one of the reasons you do that one so infrequently is finding the right background vocals. It's hard to find someone who can sing that song with you. So that carries on to this album. I think of a song like A Human Touch, you know, or you mentioned the layering in My Cleveland Heart. It's funny. that Are there songs from this or obviously oh, a song for Barcelona, which as you say, so it's interesting. Have you thought about like, you know, some of these songs that, you know, are so dependent on the people that you've done them with for bringing them to the stage. I always uh, have that in mind when I'm doing them. How am I going to do this? How am I going to perform this later? And uh, in the case of um, a human touch, it I don't I can't even, I, I can't sing the female part and the male. I mean, I can It's a duet, and it, it was written as a duet. So, I need some. I my but the singers that sing with me could either one of them could sing that that part. It's easy for them, you know. And it's, and it's wonderful that it's a duet. I what the way I solved that problem last time I went out. I went on tour. I just invited Leslie Mendelssohn to be my guest, and she came to a bunch of shows. First, first we did it. We invited her because I was in New York playing at the Beacon, and I invited her to come on and do it because she was there, and it was just so good. I said, "Well, do you want to come to these other gigs too?" And and she did. She wound up. We wound up planning it that way. I don't know that she'll have the time to do very much of that with me because she's got her own gigs. And but I'm I I figure I'm I figure out a way of doing that song, and when when we do it, you know, it's the song, and it's also the, you know. I actually have to be able to replace um, various other musicians at given given times, you know, because no one's got, you know, no one can give touring all of their time. We can't. Everybody's got kids. People have family, family lives and stuff. I mean, so um, I'm already I've already got subs for one of the singers. I've got sub a sub for one of the guitarists. Um, 
I'll tell you, that girl could sing is something that I did take the trouble to learn. And it was just, it's just about taking the trouble to learn it. We are, we have what it takes, you know, I've got the, the girls in my band can sing it. And also the, we even do the great, not everybody realizes that it was done, uh, in real time with real voices and that sort of delayed in the dead of dead of night, you shine it, shine it. You know, that answer wasn't, that was Doug Haywood singing answers to me. And, um, most people think it was just done with a, a delay. So it was my voice delayed, but it's not. And so it's just about somebody, and Jeff Young learned it. It's just a learning how to sing. It's a trick you have to practice and learn how to do. But that song, the, the deepest part, of that girl could sing to try to do is, is the David Lindley solo. Cause you can't just have somebody just smear it with a lot of lead guitar. It's just, it's a certain thing. And David and Greg, Greg Lee's can do, he can do it. <laughs> he can do what David, <laughs> he, he can learn stuff that David Lindley originated. You know, David took David Lindley. Matter of fact, David Lindley couldn't always do it on that song. Matter of fact, I don't know if you'd be interested in this story, but yes, we were were recording it and we did this basic track and it was amazing. But I, but I wanted to redo some of the solo. I wanted the solo It needed to go from where he played the solo live. So the solo, if you listen to that and it's got a certain sound, he's actually, when he goes, it's him, him hitting the magnet the horseshoe magnet of the guitar, of the slide guitar wraps around the strings and it's steel you know, with his finger pick. And so no one really has those instruments. And Greg does. He could <laughs> point is that, <laughs> that when I told him I wanted him to do the solo again, so I could have it do this, like do that thing where the solo goes up, reaches to this high note. It, it, we didn't have that part of it. It just had sort of played. It didn't go anywhere. And it needed to, to, once it had played this beginning solo, which was so great, it needed to take off and go to the, you know, place in the song. And he said, you want that same song? But he said, okay, I'll I'll go find that amp. And when he came back, he said, you can't have that sound anymore. That's that's gone. What do you mean? (laughs) I did that on a certain amp. And the, the speaker broke, and I had it reconed, and it's different. It doesn't make that sound anymore. <laughs> you can't mean that. It's not gone. You can't, like, you can't, it can't be recreated. He said, no. And we tried, and we made him try, and he was right. It just was gone. So, and he, that's, he's so a little bit perverse in that, enjoying the fact that, because he also, like, he's, he's, he used to always quote Eric Dolphy, great jazz saxophonist, was saying, you know, the notes go into the air and they're gone. <laughs> it, they happen and then they're, they're, it's gone, you know. So be in the moment is really, what, I think, what the point of that statement was. But he said, uh, I think it gave him a lot of pleasure just to tell me, you can't, you can't have that. There's no more of that. <laughs> but nonetheless, 
if we if we follow our if we really follow that arrangement meticulously, it comes out. Usually, there's something extra that happens. There's some good stuff in that song that you get by trying really hard to, to adhere to that arrangement. And uh, I, I'm lucky because Greg Lee's is really uh, he's very he he's very well versed in in Lindley's tone. He knows how to get that tone. He doesn't have to use the same. He doesn't necessarily use the dumbbell amps and the stuff. But he, but he's followed along in David's uh, exploration of the slide, and it's able to. And there are times when he quotes David, like in playing the the solo and running on empty. He'll start it, and it'll be. It'll, you'll you'll think you're hearing David Lindley for the first, you know, like eight bars or something. And, and there he's, it's like a little a moment in which he sort of like it's almost like he forges David's signature and then just wipes it clean and does the rest of the solo his way. You know, it's really a a brilliant thing to to see happen because it's a it's a it's a quote. It's a and it's a tribute, you know, to David. Well, now I don't know how we're doing that time, so I know we have to wrap up in a second. We've been on for a while, but I mean, I can go on all day with these stories. But it's interesting for you, you know, in a in larger picture, you know, not just that girl could sing. It's funny because having not toured now for a year and a half, are there songs for you that you've developed a new appreciation for that maybe you had played them so much, but now all of a sudden you miss them, or you just go back and hear stuff differently, and you're like, you know, okay, we haven't done this one in a while. It's kind of fun to bring it back. Yeah. Well, my I think my version on what you're talking about is that as I get ready to go out on tour, I, I'm I'm not going to be able to play on the shows that I'm doing with James Taylor. I've got an hour, you know, to do my best, my best set. Not only, but it's an opening set. I mean, I can't really do what you do at the end of it at the end of a concert, it's not to kind of have a culminating kind of feeling. So I just got to like, try to represent both, you know, some of the songs from the new album and the best of what I've done. It's, I, I figure it's a little like playing more general audience than, than, I mean, my diehard fans will be there, but it won't be all my diehard fans. It won't be only, it'll also be people who have a, a passing acquaintance with my music. So the job is to open the evening, you know. So there are songs that I think will work. I probably, I've, I've decided, I've, I think I'll probably start this night with I'm Alive. And I also figured out a way to make that, open that song up a little bit. And we, we, we on one of our at-home um, performances, I figured out some things about that song to make it a little extended, extend the opening and make something that really can, can tune us up. We used to, we used to always begin with, uh, for a couple of years, I, I, I began with the barricades of heaven and because it would be a way of bringing everybody into the moment and making this very introductory law, but it, that, it takes too long to do that. And uh, so anyway, so I, some of my better known songs in a very faithful way, so by that, I mean, I mean, look, I sing differently now, but, and I've, I think I sing better, but I'm going to take the trouble to like have, if I do a song like Lay for the Sky, I realize that that song begins with a, an inter, guitar introduction 
And for most people who listen to that song, they're listening to that record, and that's that's what the song sounds like when it starts. And so I think I'm going to take the trouble to learn that. Like I was saying about taking the trouble to learn that girl could sing. It it um. Well, there's two things. There's there's I I'm proud of the fact that these songs can be done by anybody, or they could be done by me in a completely different way, and the song still holds up. But if I go and do the original arrangement, it's a, it'll I think it'll have a kind of value in a live concert, you know, to to have the introduction of the song be. I want people to go, oh, I love this song, right as they hear the introduction. Not not like find out a minute into it what song I'm singing. Go, oh, this is that song, you know. So I'm going to try to make that kind of, you know. I'm going to prepare for that kind of thing. Well, I'm assuming, however, in 2022, I shouldn't assume, but I hope as a fan that in 2022, there may be a proper tour, not with James. So are there a couple of rarities or well, songs that, you know? Actually, I do that right away. I'm going to tour for a month with James and then a tour, tour, tour a month by myself. Tour, tour for a month with James in August, then a, for a month by myself in September, and then back with James in, in October and November. So... That'll happen right away. I, I, I do, I'm going to rehearse a whole you know, evening with kind of format too. So are there any particular songs that, that you've thought of during this time that you're like, okay, I haven't either played that one in a while, or maybe that you had played a lot and you're just like, uh, you know what? It's like, it'd be fun to bring that one back or, you know, or, or that you actually missed it because you haven't toured in a year and a half. Yeah. I think of those all the time. I think of those, you know, it's a whole list of songs that I want to, you know, explore that way again it's really what you find exciting in the in the company you're in like in the for the band that you have together in the time you know and it's just everybody's changed everybody's been changed by this time at home you know we'll see i can't wait i'm gonna i'm probably uh i'm heading into a much longer rehearsal period than i ever do i'm almost haven't even rehearsed because the songs, are, the the shows are very spontaneous and very often you can't prepare. You can't really rehearse, you know, what is going to happen with an audience. So we just have a lot. Of, we just know a lot of songs. And um, this time I'm going to rehearse it because I want to really, um, well, you know, I've, I don't know how that important this is, but I mean, I've got two subs to teach the songs to also. And they'll have to, you know, we'll have a lot of, lot of um, teaching to do. I, it's not subs. I don't have, by the way, there's no sub for me. <laughs> you don't have an understudy? No. That wouldn't be bad, actually. That's not a bad idea. Tonight, the Port of Jackson Brown will be played by. <clears throat> uh, who would be your understudy? If you had an understudy, who would it be? I'd like to find one of those kids that they found like to, to do journey and like that. You know, maybe there's a kid in, in, in the Philippines that could, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who, find, like, who can sing like me, but that would be a, that would be a hilarious search, you know, cause it had to be, instead of looking for somebody with the, the enormous chops of Steve Perry and the incredible debility to sing, like you'd be, looking for somebody without any chops. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last two questions, but one, you know, it's funny. Absence of skill has been a big part of my, my 
<laughs> I was going to say, but, you know, you mentioned James and it's funny for you. I mean, how much fun is it? The idea of doing a tour with someone that you've known for my guess is 50 years and, you know, who's also a great singer songwriter. So just to share a stage with someone like that, like, you know, it is a real thrill. It's unbelievable because yeah, I, I've, James has always been like my, uh, he's been like a guide in a way, you know, he's, he's really sort of, he, he's sort of, uh, recorded before I did. And I, I knew his, of course I knew his records. I knew a couple of his records before I, I, I ever met him, but I also got to play with some of his players. I kind of, um, you know, I got to make my first record with guys that were playing in his band. So in a way, he he was somebody I really took a lot of. Uh, I, I I really, can I say, I learned a lot from him. And I, I um, he's always been a kind of beacon for me in terms of singing and playing and writing. He was the kind of standard bearer for the singer-songwriter the moment that, 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 you know, that America sort of said, well, this, this is, you know, I mean, I think there were singer songwriters before, of course, but it sort of became a thing that people really thought of as a particular, a distinct uh, chamber of rock and roll, a certain thing. I mean, I'm, I'm more likely to, I like, I like thinking of Keith Richards as a singer songwriter, you know, but I mean, I, but Anybody who sings and writes their own songs, but James, of course, is a master, and he's he's um, he's written some of the greatest songs. As a matter of fact, let me write that down. He's written some of the greatest songs of all time, and and his band is also one of the best bands that you'll ever go hear. And one or two of them are people that I've gotten to play with before, and so that's, it's it's very family feeling. And James is a very um, very is a great host. He's very hospitable, and he really makes um, you know he he makes everybody feel really excited and present to and and in the moment, and including thousands and thousands of people in say a baseball stadium where you can hear a pin drop. He's completely changed the dynamic of what it means to be in a, a huge gathering and hear these songs. It's, it's partly that everybody knows the songs really well, but it's also partly that you know James really well and that he really has a calmness and a, and a, a confidence, a kind of solidness, you know, in his, in his singing and playing that, is, that could be... Uh, they complete, be completely relied upon, you know. You don't need any action. I mean, of course, the band is powerful, so when he does play really big-sounding things, they really deliver, but it's really the quiet stuff that really kind of nails it, you know, nails it to the moment, you know. It's exciting. It's like, it's like a master class, you know. And I, I've only gotten to do a few shows with him um, uh, in those, that kind of setting, baseball stadiums, you know, but some of these shows will be in big stadiums, but, but most of them will be in more like arenas. And again, we assume because you're in a big arena that you've got to make a big sound. You've got to make a lot of noise. And as a matter of fact, my whole, my whole writing, my whole attitude about performing changed when I started playing 20,000 seat basketball arenas. 
And I lost the thing I'm talking about. If I had it, it just sort of, it sort of subsided while I learned how to play in a stadium. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I, I got to see James a couple of years ago at the Hollywood Bowl and, and my friend was generous enough to give me literally front row, like literally in the front row at the Hollywood Bowl. And it's amazing to watch, you know, 17,000 people. It's funny, one of my, the, as a quick aside, and, you know, I remember watching a PBS special James did years ago and I was cracking up watching as they panned the audience when he was doing Fire and Rain and how every single person in that audience was crying. And it was so interesting to me and why I was laughing at these people was he realized that every single person watching this has their own total different association with that song, which actually might be my favorite song of all time. So mm -hmm. it's an amazing skill to take a song that, you know, resonates with a million different people in a million different ways. And it's like, you know, Obviously, you have several of those. You look at a John Lennon song like In My Life, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable skill. And all those people all feel like they're in the front row. Yeah. It's the song doing that. Too. It's the in intimacy and it's, it's the history they have with the song. You know, James Case, you know, we grew up with those songs. They, they were, they, they, you know, but he's out. He's a very funny, you know, he's a really funny guy. <laughs> All right, so one song, one song of yours or his, or one song of each of yours, that would be fun for you guys to do together. Since, as you say, you've played with some of the people in his band as well. And I'm not saying, by the way, this will happen, but just for you as a fan, one song of yours that you would like him to sing on and one song of his that you would like to sing on. I can't, I'm going to have to abstain from saying this right now. I've got a couple of things in mind, but I don't want to, I don't want to, put it out there yet i haven't even talked with him about it so yeah no worries i uh, will oh go ahead no i just like he invited me to sing a, a song of his when we played uh wrigley field and 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 um um you know it's just um no i'm just gonna say it. like it's it's i i, I, I don't want to talk about it without having you know Discuss it with him first, though. No worries at all. I always just ask from the standpoint of a fan. But, all right, well, let's wrap up on Downhill from Everywhere. When you go back and hear this record as a whole, and this is also interesting to me as well, because obviously it's a record that, you know, a lot of it was done pre-COVID, so it's probably changed and evolved, and you've had different experiences in this time. What do you hear from it when you go back and listen to it as a whole work? Well, a lot of these songs were written over a period of years. You know, they, they really, like, so... Like, so the COVID, um, like like I said, there there was a sort of uh, a gift in the quarantine itself, you know, of 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 a, of a kind of calmness and a, the time to scrutinize the record and really really weigh everything. But but the songs themselves are developed over a period of several years, and 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 they're they're more about the the time we're living in. There's some of them really are amplified by what we've lived through in the past year, COVID, uh, and um, like human, like a human touch just really gets, gets, takes on an, an extra meaning. Um, uh, but also uh, downhill. I mean, um, until justice is real, really informed, is more made more resonant by the Black Lives Matter demonstrations in the past year and and, and the ongoing. Um, <clears throat> Awakening 
to the to the those issues in that part of our culture, which is you know been unresolved in our entire lives, you know for our entire lives, been we thought we were on a path to some uh, agreed upon future, and we're not. So these things are not of the moment; they're of the t- our times. They're of the moment, and they are of our the, the the times we're living in, and that includes you know. Pre-Trump, pre-COVID. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's funny going back to we. I know we got to wrap up. We've been on for an hour, but I can. I so appreciate your generosity with the time. But it was interesting. I was the point I was going to make earlier when you were talking about Warren and his ability to satirize and how you couldn't do that, but at the same time, you know, and how he could write a song like "Accidentally Like a Martyr" and Johnny strikes up the band and do that in a way that almost no one else could. But one of the things I really love about this record is that you have these deeply personal moments, but at the same time, you have a song like Until Justice is Real, you know, and The Dreamer, which you and I spoke about in 2017. So I think that, you know, I think that's cool as well to bring that, you know, skill set in. It's, you know, I mean, if I could ask it in a question form, is there one artist that you look to the most or that you admired for the way that they can incorporate that personal employee? I always mention John Lennon, but obviously Dylan could do it as well. Where you said it, I was going to say John Lennon because you know I grew up listening to the Beatles and you had room on your song on your album to hear the most intimate song you know uh, she's leaving home say as well as you know a day in the life so yeah the 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 breadth and the depth of the Beatles and the ability to move from you know from a, a very intimate picture to a very universal one uh, you know informs i think my whole life my whole you know my whole idea of music i've what music is for you know and more and more we're in we're sort of you know the media is is broken up into niche markets and people are don't are not likely to hear anything but what they already like you know they're they're marketed to in terms of what they already consume right so (laughs) it's it's worth i mean i've I've always tried to incorporate some of what I hear in other kinds of music, African music or Caribbean music or Spanish music. And uh, the world is big. I've, I, I was listening to world music before they called it world music, you know, where there was the Nonsuch records, you know, that were, came out on Nonsuch music from Bulgaria or, or, uh, or whether it was um, discovering flamenco after years or even just you can study jazz like like realize that after having discovered miles davis on the record in a silent way and then listening to the next record bitches brew all through my coming of age to then in my 40s suddenly discovering the quintet all these there's more music than we can ever hear now that's been recorded so I think it's um, it's interesting for me that a, that a, that a, a recording is it's it's a little bit of, of an imposed sort of frame. You're putting a frame around some of your music and some of your influences and how what can you fit into the picture, but really uh, there's so much more than you could ever fit onto a record. I I do think that the the this record is kind of a a collection of songs that I immersed myself in. This song, these songs, each one as I wrote it, 
over a period of time, you know. Love is Love was written in Haiti and, and, and um, The Dreamer was written in Southern California over a period of many years trying to, trying to find my way into the subject of how to, how to recognize and honor the contributions of Latinos in Southern California or the Southwest or really now, I mean, the whole country. I remember when I realized, I mean, that there were so many, there were just as many Latinos in New England as there were in Southern California that all, you, you don't see them. You don't see their contributions because they're, they're, they're kind of like secondary population, you know, like, and, and they're treated like second class citizens. They're treated like they're, like they're invisible. And so that's the subject of the song. And that's something that's worthy of, I was felt lucky to find my way into that, uh, that song, but each of the songs, whether it's, uh, each, each one of these songs represents a, a kind of immersion in a subject. It's not casually. I mean, it, it just, it, these are the ones that, I mean, I don't write enough songs to not, to, to write a song and then not record it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta record everything I write. So this is, this is in, in a very real sense, it's a record of my, you know, last few years, um, you know, where I've, where I, what I've immersed myself in. Cool. Is there anything that you want to add we did not cover? Because, man, I feel like we covered a lot. Yeah, I think we did. I'm sorry. I, I tend to ramble. I'm good luck on trying to make sentences out of this. So thank you. you. I mean, never, you know, it's by never apologize for rambling. And of course, you know, again, as a huge fan, I could talk to you all day long, you know, and obviously as a bonus, then we can geek out on Zbon for 15 minutes because as you hear, huge fan, you know. I'll tell you, do you know about John Trudell? I know the name, but that's it. John Trudell is a spo- spoken American, uh, uh, an American Indian spoken word artist who, who did a lot of work with Jesse Ed Davis. And I produced a, a couple of his records and he's, he passed away about five years ago, but there is a record that we're about to start mixing next week that is, um, miraculously been kind of pulled together and exhumed from various songs he was working on in the years before he died. And, 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 and actually some of the vocals were done literally in a hospital, uh, from here, from the, from that part of his, from the end of his life, from the, and, and, and he was loosened up into the end and, um, very powerful. And that's, that's the one thing I'll just get just as a, as a fellow Zivon freak, I'll just make sure that I send you a copy of this record when it's, when it's finished. Cause it's really something. Yeah, no, I would love to hear it. And I'll definitely go back and check out some of his others. Like I said, I know the name, but yeah. I don't, I'm not really familiar with the work and it's two, two records. One's called graffiti man. It's called AKA graffiti man. And then the other one is called blue Indians. Both of them somewhat different than each other, but both just amazing. And then, then that would set you up for listening to this new record when it's when it's done. I'll make sure you get one. Great, it was a great honor as always. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you. Great catch Thanks. All right. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you've been here on my turning point with the legendary Jackson Brown. Thanks.
Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 